0: Hello friends, my name is Steve, and we're here today to discuss the final four chapters of the Great uh, the Greater uh, Judging Eye, Chapters thirteen through sixteen. Uh, it's 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 been uh it's been a book. It's been a week. So we're here to uh to finish off the judging eye and be here with Katerina and Daniel. Katarina, will you give us an introduction and tell us uh why you're reading this book again?
1: <laughs> um I mean, did I have any other alternatives? <laughs> <laughs> I don't
0: know.
1: Uh, hi, I'm Katarina. Um, I don't know why I'm really, well, I mean, it would be really awkward if I just stopped and waited for, like, waited for two books uh, for you guys to catch up with me. But it did feel, it does feel strange to read the same book twice within a span of a couple months. Um, but I still enjoyed it. It's, like, it's still, like, it's still one of my favorites. Um, Store Wheel rocks. And we made it out of Moria.
0: Yeah, yeah. Lots to discuss there for sure. And uh, and Daniel, you wanna why are you reading it for the tenth time with us?
2: Because I found someone to read it with.
0: (laughs) It's good enough. It's a good enough excuse for me. It's my it's my first time. And um, does it get easier the more you read it? Do you start to understand it a little bit more? The 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 rereads.
2: Yes, definitely. You're trying to catch the story the first time, or what you can of it, and not so much the details, probably. Hmm. And afterwards, you'll catch the details. Maybe and, we'll talk about one thing. We'll talk about one thing that's catchable at this point.
0: Okay. And uh, Katarina, did you pick up a lot on your on this reread? Because you said you've read it this one a few months ago, did you, uh, was there things that you you noticed that you didn't notice the first time?
1: I don't, I don't think so. Like, I don't think there were maybe a few details that made me think, but I don't feel like there were any big twists, you know, that, like that I I, I knew, knew about coming into it the second time that I was able to see this time so not not really like i imagine after i finish the entire series i will probably feel very differently but i feel like i'm in the uh i'm, I'm, I'm there's just too much i still don't know t- to really be able to pick up on some clues and foreshadowing right now
0: yeah that's fair that's fair so we we start off in chapter 13 with surreal and katerina seems like you're you're a fan of him and it's um start to f- really feel for him it, it's uh I, th- I think we needed a character like this you know that we get for i think we needed someone that was kind of a, like almost like our eyes in that world um kind of uh watching and experiencing it the way he is but um what did you what did you think about sor journey in these chapters
1: well the thing i like about Sor wheel is how Conflicted he is, and I guess like you're right. In some way that also like reflects how you as the reader feel about what's going on. Like we also don't know if the great old ordeal is what Kellis seems to be saying that it is. We don't know what like we don't know much about callus at this point. Like we don't know if he's actually like the chosen of the God. If he's a prophet or you know if he has some ulterior motives. And like those are all the questions, the same questions that Sorweel is is wondering as well. And I just, I just love how lost and confused and what a like just teenager he is, especially in the interactions he has with uh, his new with his new tutor. Like those, I I I found it was like a really nice, funny chapter, or at least parts of it before we uh like it was a nice relief before we go deep into the uh, silages uh, silages chapters
0: what you think about him with these uh, chapters Daniel sore wheel
2: yeah he's like a a coming of age story in a terrible world but he's, he still seems innocent enough at this point, and struggling between like a goddess Yatler being like the god of the week, choosing him and Telus being like a father since everyone is a child to him. So he's born between the mother and the father. He's, he's going through uh, just some sh- sharp learning experiences. And it's fun to join, him. and like Katerina said, he's wondering exactly what pelvis is, just like we are at this point still.
0: Yeah, that, those Katerina, you mentioned those sections with the tutor, it it almost felt like a different book for a while, because it, it felt really lighthearted and um, kind of the banter back and forth and, and their discussions, it felt like a totally different experience, those sections.
1: I, yeah, I feel like any any person who went to high school and had to attend classes they they couldn't care less for could relate to what Cyril was going through in in those scenes. Like my my one of my favorite parts is when he's learning about grammar and he's like realizing oh there's there are rules to the way we speak like I had no idea. And he's kind of he's coming to realize like how there are so like how kind of limited his his world was up until the uh, Great Old Year showed up. And um, he's learning about, he's learning about how, like, complicated and how wide the world is. And I really, I really love, I really love that.
2: And then later he says, why should I respect these people? They don't even know how to talk because everyone's just gawking in their own languages. So he's coming to these comprehensions, but he's
1: kind of trying to defy them too. it seems like. Yeah, and as es- 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 Aeschylus, um, his, his mandate teacher, is like, um, is like maybe less grumpy version of a commune in some sense. Like maybe I don't, I don't I don't know exactly how to describe the difference between the two, but like in some regards they are very similar. Like they're both mandate sorcerers, they're both a little bit um, on the heavier side. Um, but may maybe maybe come in the point where we meet him in Prince of Nothing, he's a lit, little bit less weary. Um, and we also like also we also learned that Aeschylus was a spy in Sicarpus. And that he lived there for a few years before the um, before the great ordeal survived uh, arrived, which is kind of similar to uh, Akamian and and his uh, his spying adventures before the uh, before the uh, the holy war.
2: These chapters, like he kind of reminds me of. Akamian, when he was reflecting on teaching Pro-Yes, Akamian mm-hmm. like was a little bit less delusional back then. And Proyas was a little young kid, so it kind of reminded me of their conversations. I think Akamian has always been more of a skeptic, though, where mm-hmm. Escalese isn't necessarily a
1: skeptic. Well, he, he, he so seems to believe... Yeah, in Kalis. Which, I mean, it is interesting that there are entire schools of sorcerers who went from, like, being, you know, thinking they're damned by the gods to now having this complete faith in Kalis and in Kalis being their savior.
0: Yeah, it did seem like history was repeating itself a little bit with uh, with those um, those interactions. And I I love when they talk about the characters from the first trilogy. About they talk about a Cam a and the Compotium of the first Holy War. The way that the, that they talk about it and they kind of gossip about it. And um, it, it's it's neat to see that different perspective and how other people in this world view that whole situation and kind of the way they talk about him and and. Um, how Kellis stole Esfand from him, and kind of the the gossip that they have, and it's kind of like a like a secret that they're afraid to talk about.
1: Yeah, I mean for sure, like for like the, like we read it from the point of view of Esfand and and, and and like for for them it was like just like incredibly intimate story that happened to them. Whereas for other people, like for other people, that's almost like. Well, not ancient history, but it's 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 part of history, like or like a part of of legend and part of the scripture. Um, and it's also interesting for me. Like, it was also interesting for me to see how Taronga talks about the Compendium of the Holy War. Because when I when I read those excerpts in the Prince of Nothing, I, you know, I just took it for for a given, like that's, that, that that's how things happened. Like that is that's like facts. That's the history. And then now it, it kind of made me go back and question how objective that retelling of, of the holy war actually is.
2: Yeah, and there's a, <clears throat> I think when they go in the and he speaks to him later in these chapters, all the murals of the first holy war, where it like shows Kellus in Shimei, like floating above everyone, and shows like the battle happening below. So it's all been like sh- scripturized and immortalized in history. So it's like part of scripture. And then <clears throat> all the rumors just surrounding Achilles and his claims, I guess. And the fact that most of them appear to be
1: true to the reader. Yeah, and also like we learn that there are at least some groups of people in the three C's who don't who do not support Kellis. Like that, there seems to be this some kind of like a hidden resistance, underground movement of people who maybe don't oppose Kellis openly but don't believe what he's been preaching.
0: If I saw him do what he could, what he's been able to do, I don't know that I'd say my, I wouldn't be very vocal about it either.
1: <laughs> yeah, fair enough, fair enough.
0: But I do like there's like, that there's little pockets of, of those uh, whispers that, um, you know, behind the scenes that they it's uh, something that they keep private. But I like that it, not everyone, you know, drank the Kool-Aid. It's, there are some people who still um, question him.
1: And there is the scene where uh Aeschylus is trying to explain to Soar Wheel what Kellus is and he uses the the metaphor of the the vase. He he like he takes the he takes his vase and he smashes it and then he tries to explain to Soar Wheel that men are like men are like fragments of of of, of the vase. And the vase, like if the vase represents the god, then then means that people are like fragments of the god or of the of god of the god's soul. And then there is this like small piece inside the like a smaller vase, like a replica of the of the big vase. There is a small replica of that vase inside, and he's like trying to explain that Kallus is like this. Incarnation of the God, um, which I also I also find interesting because he like to me like what he's implying there is kind of that like everyone else seems to be part of like the bigger God, but somehow Callus is not part of that. Like he is like he doesn't Callus is not one of the pra- fragments, um, in that metaphor. So I was like I, I, it made me wonder like w- what does it mean like does Kellis maybe stand outside of the influence of the god or is he like a not a god's child in some sense unlike other other men um I don't know it was it was just some something that got me thinking when I when I was reading when I was reading um uh, the, about the metaphor and thinking about it
2: Yeah, that was a cool little part. And then he, he just picks up like a couple of the fractured pieces of pod, pottery and he says, like, all all souls are shaped differently. That's what makes us individual, but we're still all just a fragment of the greater whole. And yeah, who knows if Christ stands inside or outside? The non men seem to be cursed with damnation too and they're really old They're as, old, as old dreams so
1: yeah it's it's so mysterious like this whole time like first like first I didn't even believe that the gods were real that that heaven or hell was real and now I'm, I'm thinking like so what are like and now I I've come to believe like I'm a believer now but like I don't know what like what are the gods like what are souls like how like how does heaven and hell like how does it work like how do you who decides or like what decides if you go to hell or heaven how are the gods involved like is there actually like a god of gods there's so many questions about this and like the more I read the more questions I'm starting to have Um, so no, no wonder they're like anytime they mention that something about the gods like I just my mind runs off and starts thinking in, in strange directions.
0: Just hearing hearing all of you and both of you talk about it, kind of occurs to me that we've we've read this is the fourth book that we've read and we know very little about Kellis. <laughs> well I mean we don't we we don't really know exactly. Um there's just so much we don't know about him and how it all works. which just kind of uh, to to keep us engaged that long and to not really know, then that's quite, quite a feat to pull off. And and we've
1: barely seen him in this book.
2: Mm -hmm. We're as confused of him as we are of the gods in this book. (laughs) We're both kind of undefined currently. And I was going to say, on Sunday, I asked all those same questions you asked, that are, you know, about our world. Are the gods real? Are our soul- Do our souls have shapes? What are the gods? What is the outside? What's just a normal Sunday exercise when everyone else is at church?
1: What were you drinking? <laughs> is my question. No, sorry, that was a bad joke. No,
0: You're... Uh, so what, wondering the same thing.
2: The Kool-Aid.
0: What <laughs> were you drinking? Just the Kool-Aid. Just oh, the Kool-Aid. Kool-Aid. Oh, okay. Drinking the Kool-Aid, yeah. Uh, so <laughs> the, um, uh, are you guys ready to move on to the next chapter? Because the, there's a lot. Um, uh, well, or is there more I, on this one? I
1: only—I mean, uh, I guess we mentioned it, but maybe just we can go back to it quickly. It's sure. the um, the sort of the, the ritual that what's the slave's name? Pors like I didn't even write it down. Pro-
0: well, uh, I have uh, it written down here. At least. I have it down.
1: Wasporian, P- I think, is the name.
0: Yeah, uh, Porsporian.
1: Yeah. So he seems like, from what I gathered. He's perf- like he somehow seems to be connect- connected to yacht and he performs this ritual where mud rises from the ground or something, and he smears it across Sorewiggle's face, and Prosporian's Pos- eyes go red, um, and then callus does not seem to be able to tell that store is not a believer so it's, it seems like the goddess has decided to protect Sorweel from callus and probably she has some like hidden agenda that we don't know about yet um but like why this and i don't like this is more like an I don't know if this is actually a question that you, that we can answer, but like, why is Thorweel like? What? Why? Why is Thorweel Wheel chosen? Like, is it just because it's Korean or was it somehow planned from the beginning? Um, it the ritual it kind of reminded me of um, the ritual that Sadma Nanaferi performed with the Lag Warrior. Like I think her eyes also went red and she did I think she, like she did smear some like she smeared blood, I think, on, on the white leg warrior's face. It's so, like it's not exactly the same, but I, I definitely saw some perils. And like for for a brief moment, I it kind of made me think like maybe maybe it was Sorewheel who was supposed to be become the, the White Leg Warrior, or maybe there was some kind of like a mixed up, or could there be like more than one? Um, I don't, like, I'm not convinced that I'm not convinced anymore that he is the white love warrior, but I think there are definitely some similarities between the two.
0: Yeah. On page, uh, 295, uh, it mentions the, uh, not only had the slaves eyes gone red, a trick, some kind of trick, somehow the mouth pressed into the soil face had opened. Um, so hearing that the face had opened, kind of reminded me of the Skin Spies. Was what I've, my mind went to for that. Um, hearing how his face opened.
2: I think that he just like <clears throat> gets on the ground and cars two lips out of the ground. So it's just really lips, not a whole face. And that's what he does every morning and every night. And if that were really is. Manifesting a White Luck Warrior and giving divinity to Setmanena Fairy and also Sorwill on the other side of the world, I and mean, she's just one of 100 gods, right? Then, how active are these other gods? How come yet we're so active currently?
0: Maybe Yatwer is a little vase inside the big vase.
2: Kelis just said that it's, she's his sister. She's she's just his blind sister.
1: I, I don't know. I think it might be some. There might be striving for some sort of balance. Like Kellis is so powerful, and he has, um mesmerized so many people that may may, maybe Yadwar is is coming to intervene and sort of like restore the balance between the hundred gods like it's like if we assume that well I guess they the the hundred gods don't recognize Kellis as the incarnation of the god of gods I would think maybe they think of him as more like an equal so maybe it's like her Trying to put him in his place. Um, I don't know. I mean, this is like I'm just speculating.
2: There's a part where Kellis talks to Esnet, and she's wondering why the gods would war against him if he is like the god. He says that they're blind to they're blind to what goes on in this world. So they don't understand his purpose. They only understand the threat, I guess. Kind of. mm. That's what he says in place.
1: Yeah, but what is the threat? I mean, it seems the thing he's trying to do is to protect um, the world from the ink and from them shedding the world from... From the outside, and I, I imagine the gods. Like, if you shut the world from the outside, then the gods probably wouldn't have a way to intervene in our world, like the, in like in our reality. So, shouldn't they be on Kallus's side? Maybe, maybe they know something that Kallus doesn't know.
0: Maybe Kalos knows something they don't know. <laughs> I also
2: remember, it talking about the hundred gods being blind to the No God too. Mm-hmm. They didn't know that it was destroying the world or that it could think. Who knows if they're just also fragments of this face, with bigger shapes, maybe bigger fragments of the base of God maybe there's a liquid in, inside
1: of the base when it breaks. Okay. Uh, well, I guess it would make sense then that Callus is sort of standing apart from everyone. Like, if he is the one who, like, we kind of, we, well, we sort of know that he can talk to the no-god, or at least he can hear the no-god. And if the god, so maybe if everyone with a soul is not able to hear the no god, then it makes sense that Kalas has to be somehow different, like somehow separated from them. I... I think I think we went too deep into the rabbit hole.
0: <laughs> it's easy to, to go to these rabbit holes, though. It's, it's easy to get into them.
2: The rest of these chapters have a, a ghost and a heart with an eyeball. So we're getting into some obscure horror, less based in this reality or a reality that we can understand.
1: That was one of my questions. Like, where are we? Are we still here? Or are we somewhere else?
0: (laughs) We're going to have an existential crisis during these discussions.
2: It was a trip through the mountains. I don't know exactly how long they were there for. Um, 30 days? Something?
0: Through the mines?
1: Was, yeah, I think it was a couple of days at least. Yeah. And then a yeah. couple of days going up <laughs> through yeah. this group. Spr-
2: Four days just to go up and they went across and down the whole time. So who knows? They eventually,
0: quit sleeping too. And um, the okay, so on on page three hundred three, um, when Akami is having a dream, he um, he notices that he, he realizes that he's uh, unseen, and insubstantial witness alone. Uh, where is Swatha? I don't think that's happened before right? Sas is always there with him or help, like, guiding him that's a that's the first time that he hasn't been that he's been alone right to my
1: it definitely hasn't happened it It didn't happen prior to this book. It might have happened early in this book as well. I'm not sure, but it's either it's either the first or the second time, I would say. Um, And it is it is it is strange because he's supposed to be dreaming Seswatha's life, so why is Seswatha not there?
0: Yeah, that was great. I think
2: it might have happened in another dream, but it's like recognized to them. They know where they are and what's happening. This he just sees a whole bunch of raccoon fighting in the air, and it's all unfamiliar to him. And has no clue where seswatha is. We and... also get s- some more like breaking into the dreams when when one of them asks who Namara is.
0: <laughs> yeah, that was great.
1: So do you th- do you think he's still dreaming seswatha's Like, is he still dreaming about seswatha like, and his experiences, or? Has he transcended to some like higher level dreamland?
0: <laughs> he drank the sleepy time tea and he's he's next level now.
2: I don't know, towards the end it talks a lot about like how he's being pulled by the whore, which is fate. Fate is the whore. And then it's- he realizes it has his grasp on him because all of a sudden Amaro shows up who's like his ex-lover's old daughter. And, all, and then she has the judging eye, which is a crazy disease or something. And just the group he finds himself with, the non-man and the captain, and he just realizes that it wasn't him who decided this probably even, like, says he was making up the coffers, all the way up to the point where he dreams and figures out that the scroll was in the coffers. So, like, how much choice did the king even really have up to this point?
1: It, it does all seem to come a little bit too conveniently together. Like, especially the, the part about the coffers. Like, it, it can be a coincidence that he, t- he tells her when they need to go to the coffers. Like, he gives that as an excuse, and then he, re- he finds out that that's where the map of uh, Ishwal actually is located. Um, I- I'm, not, I'm not buying that that's a coincidence.
2: It reminds me of the first series when Kellis was found sitting on Snare's father's grave by Nair and just what is coincidence and what is not
0: coincidence.
1: That's right. Yes. So are you you suggesting that there is someone pulling the strings in the background?
2: I don't know. I think a big theme of this book is free will. (laughs) Like, How much free will do people have when Kellis talks to them? Right? And then in the greater aspect, how much free will does humanity have? from the outside free will is a big theme of of the entire series I would
0: say though. Hmm. There's a there's a great quote that I had um well I thought it was pretty good on 323 um when they're talking about they're asking why do men fear the dark and uh, because darkness is ignorance made visible. And do men despise ignorance? I asked, no, he said, the prize, they prize it above all things. All things. But only so long as it remains invisible.
1: Yeah, I love that quote. I also had it um, highlight it.
0: Oh, good. Okay, I wasn't the other one. <laughs> yeah, that was a good one.
2: And then there was darkness shields as much as it threatens, which is good. And then... Where before the dark had enclosed them, now it exposed them. Mm. It's like you hide in a cave from something, and then all of a sudden something's in the cave, and now you're exposed. It's just, I like the way our Scott Baker plays with words.
1: And it gives you maybe a little bit more, well, I don't know if understanding is the right word, but it to to know that the non men worship or that that they worship the unknown that it's it's kind of like it it makes them even more alien to humans i think that like i think men or people are like humans are more like generally more about like Trying to get to the nitty gritty, like trying to get as much knowledge as possible. Whereas, like the, the non seem much more aware of the limits of their of their knowledge and and how kind of small it makes them. In the context of the universe, I guess.
0: Mm, could could it be because of their age, and that's why they have that different perspective?
1: maybe um did, did you read the um what came before section yes. of the book
0: yes that was great uh, it took me I know it is only like five pages but it took me a good half an hour to get to really absorb it and I'm not sure I still do but there was a ton there's a ton in those five those five pages so it, it really um helped me understand what you know what's going on Kind of where everyone's coming from
1: yeah, the first time I read it i I feel like it explained the previous tr- three books or even like the, the four books that I read much better than what I understood when I read them, especially like the ancient history with the non men and the inkroy I, I, I mean the, like now that i've like I've read five of these books and like i I've read the appendices. It, it kind of, sort of makes sense to me, at least the, you know, at, at least like the the bigger picture. But uh, the first time I I found the um this this what came before section really helpful to like help me ground myself in the history.
0: Now, when you when you said that, I, I laughed because I felt the exact same way. Um, so I'm relieved. I'm it's not just me because. I, I I felt um, you know, sometimes when I feel like I, how did I miss all this, or how did where did I not catch this? And after so many books, you'd figure that you'd have a better hold on it. And I, so hearing you say that makes me feel relieved that I'm <laughs> I'm not alone. And you know, feeling that way because it's we're um, you know we're four books in, and there's still a lot that is really um, not too clear. But those those five those few pages at the end um, really helped fill in a lot of the history
2: yeah that was all vaguely alluded to or talked around like a lot of that non-history and stuff but it wasn't put together in a package for the reader I think that's one of his best talents is to be able to take these giant confusing books and then in like seven pages just lay out the whole plot when I would think about trying to lay the plot out, it would be nearly impossible—be fifty pages at least. But he has just some kind of way with words, whether it be flowery prose or concise description
1: of the past. Yeah, I—I I read it. I mean, it's at the end of like I think in the in the in the sequel to this. I think there is also like the same section, but at the beginning of it, if I'm not mistaken. But I mean, I, but here it's at the end of the book, because I don't understand why, because it, it, I mean, it doesn't spoil anything that happens in this book. Um, but I did, I did read it at the very end. And like weirdly, it kind of reminded me of um, the, the prologue that Galadriel narrates in the first um, Lord of the Rings film. Like, she also talks about this ancient history and then, like, the betrayals and the sort of the dawn of men And then she, like... And then she finishes in, in like, the um the current time, the com- contemporary period. Um, and it, it, it really reminded me of that. Like, even, like, the style of the narration. It's, like, there's... And it, it starts with this, like, oh, like, what is, like, war? Or, like, what is, like, what does war mean in history? It's all, like, very... Um, grandiose and I don't know, um, it it reminded me of that.
0: I felt the exact same way and it's, especially the, the portions of um, you know, men forget because you know, they forget the horrors that their fathers endured and it, it all had that same really um, that same kind of um, epic feeling of you know, retelling this history and um, it, I, I could hear her voice uh, you know, retelling or reading that Uh, those few pages it felt like how men um how men came to retake the lands and and they you know they forgot what really happened and they kind of everyone kind of just moved on so yeah that had the same (laughs) had the same thoughts reading that too
2: i didn't read it after the book i think i accidentally opened the book too and read that first before (laughs) i started this book but i remember there being the part about how the first men used Flint, and then they like learned how to use stone. So the, the fact that he added like that much history to this is cool. And then later, there's like the non-men original language that they had no clue what is anymore. All them Wamwa slaves writing their chicken scratch on the walls. Just a lot, a lot of forgotten history. I even think. At one part, what does it say? Says something about oh yeah, they had been enslaved for ten thousand years in that inside of there, which is that's how much history is in this world,
1: I guess. And and then the men who came from the east kill all the human slaves. (laughs) Why?
0: some men do i guess um but yeah the uh and then you mentioned the the portion about the evolution how we move from from stone to flint and and how things evolved and that was only like i don't know less than 10 words but in those just few words he d- does so much with them so much that um you know like you said he packs in a lot in just a short packet a small package
2: yeah there's so it's it's kind of like the Game of thrones like there's a lot of history before the original books that I guess George R. R. Martin just decided to write about the blood and fire or whatever it's called and I'm sure he could go back thousands of years I don't know how long how old people are in his books We're discovering that people are at least probably at 10 to 15,000 years old in these books. Maybe they evolved from monkeys, I guess. I guess who knows. I remember it talking about them coming through uh, some kind of a passage from another land. The first men, and there was five different, they broke up into five groups or something. And they were the slaves of the non-men, and then the non-men decided they sucked, so they got shrank, they made Shrink instead, because they looked like them, and they liked the Wait, same things. Wait, what?
1: Did, uh, Nonmen non-men made the shrank? I thought it was the Inkroy. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe I'm wrong.
2: I do remember him saying, like, when... When they first see the shrink down in the mountain, it says that they look like non men. They look the exact same, but their heads are pinched. I mean, they got like sharp teeth instead of normal teeth, but their teeth are fused just like non men's teeth.
1: yeah i'm not I'm not disputing that. Uh, they definitely are described to look very similar. Uh but like the way I understood it is that the inkroy took non-MAN DNA, I guess, and then somehow made like a like a debased version of non man that was like less intelligent but more like susceptible to, to the cons the, the inkoroi's commands. I, I, like the way I understood the Strang is that they're basically like a biological weapon against the non-men.
2: Maybe, maybe they are. I just know that non-men decided that they were better slaves at some point. And then the humans came back and tried to kill all of them. I
1: hope. I hope oh. I didn't did you find anything steve
0: yeah i think so so a little long uh, but i think for context uh it's page, it's the first page of what has come before the third paragraph uh, the non-men held sway in those ancient days a long-lived people that surpassed men not only in beauty and intellect but in wrath and jealousy as well when with the iroshi with their Hiroshi heroes and Quaya mages they fought titanic battles and stood vigilant against during Epochial truces. They endured the in- inquiry weapons of light. They survived the treachery of the of Porietics, who provided their foe with thousands of sorcery killing uh, Korai. They overcame the horrors of their enemy crafted to people his legions, the Shrank, the Bashrag, and most fearsome of all, the Raku. But their avarice at last betrayed them after centuries of inter- intermittent war. They made peace with the, the invaders in return for the gift of ageless immortality. A gift that was, in fact, a foul weapon, the plague of wombs. Um, so they crafted um, the shrank, the bash dragon, the rack, the dragon, right?
1: Yeah, I think so. That makes sense to me. Um...
2: And then the and then just made them slaves i guess after the after they reconciled
0: yeah i think so um that's uh well they were given the they were given immortality and that was the plague of wombs right that's what um there's like a curse it was like a a trick is the way i read it it's what
2: i think weakened them enough for men to be able to go in and take
0: them all out, probably. Well, I, I kind of got the impression that some of them were, well, I think he mentions that when men came to retake the lands, they were either overwhelmed with numbers, like the, there was too many men for them to fight off, or they just accepted it. They were just, I kind of felt like they were like, the way I read it was they were just tired. They were just was like,
1: I'm done. Yeah, I think I, <laughs> <laughs> I think I read it more literally, uh, Well, I guess the assumption behind the plague of wombs is that all the women died, right? Mm. So if there are no women, you cannot procreate. So the population just keeps decreasing until there are very few non-men alive. And even though they're like extremely old and powerful, they're just, I guess, eventually they... The, the men or that the, the strang would be able to overpower them just like purely because of greater numbers.
2: Even when the Kameans describing a dragon, it's like, they're not, they're not like bears, they will just attack. They know humans will just get another thousand humans if they kill a couple, then 10,000 will come. If they kill 10,000 and 100,000. So it's
0: better to just let the humans go. So uh, you both mentioned the eye and the heart. <laughs> uh, that, that whole, this whole sequence of, or the whole journey um, through the minds, that was at reading it when I went back to, to kind of check the tabs I had and to write some notes down it it's very intense it's i, I didn't when i'm going back and rereading it, it it's very um um like uh blood pumping it's it gets you really get that because you always feel that um they're never safe and there's they're always being pursued or they're you know someone's watching and all these all these things are happening to them and they're all they're all dying well not all of them are dying but some of them are and all the, the sounds they hear in um yeah. It's a great, uh, a great section.
1: Yeah, it's Uh, maybe, I mean, it's certainly one of my favorite chapters in the entire series, if not the favorite chapter, but I, I listened to it on audio and I was like, I was exhausted when it, when I finished it, <laughs> it was, it was, first of all, it was almost three hours, um, uh, which is quite long for these books. Wow. Um, but also just the tension and like you never like are they gonna make it or like what else is going to jump out at them from the dark and and like my Mara is always thinking like this like, she's basically like all the like, constant thing like this is where I'm going to die like yeah. this is where I'm going to die and and I, re- I mean I really like that it's told mostly from her point of view I think the, the present tense in this particular scene. <laughs> actually works really well um it's 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 a it's a great chapter but it's also like very confusing like is like what is the what is the heart like what is the what does it mean what is the heart and what is the eye inside the heart like who put it there um whose eye is it (laughs) like the guy they the guy they meet um I, I think he still has both of his eyes. So, wh- whose eye is inside his heart? And who put it there? Or wait, what does it mean? Are, are we even supposed to take it literally?
2: I don't, I don't know. know, but does, it scared the hell out of me. He does say, I can't see. Even with the light, I can't see. So, he's still thinking he is the other eye, somehow. Where he knows the eye still can't see even with the light. But why? Who knows? We just know that it's it's a a topos that it's something like the plains of Mangata. Only instead of them being on the surface where the bones are just coming out of the ground, they're already deep in it by the lake of Lama.
0: well they mentioned that right they they mentioned um the planes of Mang- mangetta and it's so they this, said this kind of look like that they're kind of um, comparing the two um but yeah uh, daniel i get the i get the impression that you're you enjoy the like we don't know like all these uh little things that we were questioning and i bet it's uh I wonder if it's tough for you to not not tell us or if we even if you even know but because you you've read the whole series
2: just no spoilers. <laughs> but we do know that it is a topos, and that Acmean basically thinks he's walked right up to the front door of hell. Most of them think that they're like right, the front door of hell, so close that there's ghosts. So and... who knows when you're like on. At the veil of the outside, what makes it through, or where the line is anymore?
0: I didn't, I didn't think Akamean would make it. I thought a Akamean would, would die. I thought he would die and, and Mimir would take over, or kind of take his place in the story. Um, he survived, well, he survived, but uh, the bash rag is pretty close to the ball rag, isn't it?
1: What is the ball rag?
0: Isn't that the monster in the mines? Is it the ball rag? Or the ball something? Maybe I'm wrong. Are, in the in Lord Are of you rings. talking
1: about these oh Lord of the Ring? Oh uh, Are you talking about Balrog?
0: Balrog, I'm sorry. Yeah, but there's the be- it's a little close. There's a little little on the nose at that.
1: I don't know. I I mean I've it's been what, at least Fifteen years, maybe more, since I read The *Lord of the Rings*. Um, so, like my the only like the imagery of Balrog that I have is like purely just the movies, mm-hmm. and I don't think there are as that similar. But I, I I generally don't remember how he's described in the *Lord of the Rings* books.
0: I, I thought it, I, I like that it it, it he, I think. He... He's he was inspired or he it was paying I, I kind of took it as he's paying homage to the minds in this section. Um but I I appreciate what that he put his spin on it. That he kind of, you know, did his he sent it more down to horror, uh give it more of a horror feel with the eyes and the hearts. And
1: yeah, I think the scariest moment for me is when they run all the way down to the amphitheater, the lava amphitheater, and then everyone's resting and it seems like they finally made it through. And then Maimara like looks over her shoulder and she sees the non man king and she's like, who is this? It's not, not it's not it's not a cleric. Who is this?
0: Yeah, I love that too. And
2: then the iron bones that's pretty cool.
0: The dragon bones
2: yeah rusted iron
1: yeah that also it it that remind me a little bit of the hobbit as well with the dragon under the mountain i guess it's it's a shame that we only get to see the skeleton but
2: we did get confirmation that there has to be more dragons out there king doesn't say how many but he said once the no guard like lost control of them they just became lazy, He's left. Now they're just a bunch of lazy dragons around. <laughs> he also, Akinian also says that there's only probably 1,000 non men left. Mm-hmm. And that's why him not knowing who Cleric is or in is strange. Probably because that is one of his more recent names or something like that. They definitely yeah, but say I, that he's old. He's as, as old as all the oldest non men.
1: I think it's safe to assume that he is probably he probably is someone important. Like he, he does call the non men king cousin. Hmm. So I I would at least at least assume he's he's some kind of royalty among the non men. But it's, it's still very mysterious.
2: What does Akainian call him? An Ishroy nobleman or something like that?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think that's right. That's...
2: And then as Namara is witnessing what he's doing, she just keeps thinking that. She just keeps thinking of the Ishroy. She doesn't understand what he is still, but she agrees with the opinion now that there's something about cleric who's almost dead until the very last page.
0: That that last page, that last line was uh, it's, that ending is great. I loved it, and I, I I kind of felt I I kind of felt bad after that for complaining about how boring those other sections were earlier in this book about uh, the. Uh, about coming in and get you know get kind of the the journey and it kind of felt because the setup was worth it was worth it I think the, it was worth the payoff.
1: I'm like, how, am I supposed to believe that the cleric somehow survived being possessed by hell, like that he just like walked off unscathed? I'm a little bit suspicious that he's come out unharmed from that uh, experience.
2: And I think it talks about like all of the skin not coming out on stage except for what does Mamara say? She names two of them. Oh, uh,
1: what's, yeah, what's his name?
2: and Sommandatu?
1: I think Campus is dead. Um, yeah, I think S- I think Soma. The <coughs> the Nilameshi.
2: I can't remember the other one. There's two of them. That when they were climbing out of the stairs, the seat appeared unharmed. There was a part when she had her. Judging eye opened, and Soma came to help her, and she said something weird. Did you we guys catch that?
0: No, didn't.
1: I'm not sure. I mean, I, I remember she, she she sort of like ceased through the core. Like oh, so she sees.
2: She says she's, she didn't like. feel safe around the, the any of the men of the skin eaters that she felt safe around so much only because he's no
0: man
1: at all. Oh right. She does say that.
0: I didn't even catch that.
1: Yeah, well I I mean I get all like I to be to be frank, I don't like I get all of them mixed up. Like, there's like soma, suda, campus, Sampus.
0: Was it pal, Pau Pau Something.
1: Paquas. Paquas. Yeah. Well <laughs> I would say now we're down to
2: probably ten or fifteen, though, right? Eight, maybe down to like
0: eight or nine. Yeah, I think we're like less than ten now. After yeah, the, it's, the it's like.
1: They barely got started. Like they basically, they, they're like almost like just left from Marrow and now they're like down from 30 to, to 10 people.
0: Like, I'm kind of surprised that many survived.
2: It reminds me of a holy war. These
1: yeah, but, the, they, the tempered they, ten. but they still have like 95% of the journey ahead of them. <laughs>
2: zero zero mules left poor mules some query hopefully whatever that is hopefully they got some more of that
1: yeah
0: what was the Um, mule or what was the mule's name
2: I don't know he got named and then one page later he was dead
0: yeah
1: (laughs) yeah he got cut into pieces by a bash rag I think um, also, what's what's the what's the name of the um, skin eaters leader, uh, Lord? Is it Kas- kasoder Yeah. So they there's the one point where they talk about hell. And the, the, someone asks if they're in hell, and I he's remember. like. <laughs> What is he serious? Like, has he actually been to hell? Like, is is it possible for a person to go to hell and then come back? And then why was he if he, if that's if that's actually true? Like, why was he in hell and and why did he come back? Um. I it was so so many questions. <laughs>
2: Yeah, who knows what he meant? Who knows what? I think what was uh, non King saying through the mouths of Takimi, and he says something like, "I am the God."
0: Oh yeah, yeah, he does say that. I have that chapter somewhere.
2: And then right afterwards, he's like, "But gods get hungry." <laughs>
0: Because he's also like, how are you feeling hungry? So. There, was, um, there was one line on uh, 379 that I had kind of related, but um, darkness swirls as though, as though it were liquid chasing cracks in the light. and she understands with graven finality, no one recognizes their own death becomes inevitable and absolute. It comes as a stranger.
2: Yeah, that was a good passage. I think even a thinks he's dead at one point in this. There's just like a three-paragraph little section of his thoughts. He's like, oh yeah, I'm going to die here. They all thought they were going to die. I think even both Desoto. Like backs away once eventually after the non human team takes over cleric or does whatever he did to cleric.
1: It did seem like a possession, mm-hmm. but then a collapses a tunnel on him, right? So maybe, maybe that's what frees him. Um, because then at the very end, once they make it through to the, um, to the waterfall, to the screw, um, he, like the, the king sort of like comes from like the bottom of the well, I guess. And I think mar is the only one who can see the seal of hell, which like, first of all, why does hell have a seal? What does it mean? Like, what is this? (laughs) Um, But then, like, she's able to force, like, she's able to make him back off by using the core, which also just makes me, like, like, makes me, you know, question, like, everything I thought about the cores up until to this point. Um, Like, I... I guess I never, it's, I just didn't even think they were actually tears of God, but now it seems like they have some sort of, like, connection to, I mean, if they're able to repel hell, I guess they have some connection to heaven. So are they actually, like, are they actual tears of God? Like, like, and like, if which God or, like, are they tears of the God? So is there, like, the, the, the God of gods, like, is is he, is he or is 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 that real? Holy water. And like, why? Is she, like, is it is it because of the judging eye? Like, is is that how she is able to like connect to the corey?
0: Hmm. Well, with the judging eye, she can see sin, right? With the judging eye, so that's the way I thought. That kind of the way I took it is she can see she saw the seal because she can see sin.
2: I think everything else she's seen has all been black and damn. I forgot how she describes the kid when she looks at him. But oh, yeah, it's, it's uh, real bad. He's 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 going to hell for sure. Yeah,
1: and under- then when
2: she looks at the core, it's like a glowing white, radiant light. It's like the only thing that's shown positive energy instead of damnation up to this point when you're judging on it.
1: So, who made the car, right? Like, do do we know at this point? Are we supposed to know? Or is it is it, does it remain mysterious?
2: Because no, I don't I think, think I know. When Steve was reading that very first. About what comes before it talked about the quarry being like brought in some kind of a war. I can't remember the name of the war, but that was in that chapter of what has come before the secret.
1: Wait, so did the did the inquiry make the quarry? That doesn't seem right. Maybe I can find it. Oh, okay. It says um, they survived the treachery of the apparetics. I have no idea who that is. Who provided their foe with thousands of sorcery killing cory? Hmm. Well, I guess the foe is are the Inkoroi, so it wasn't the Inkoroi who made the cory. But I, I mean, I don't. I, I, this is the first time I hear about the apparetics. Or if, if I have heard of them before, I don't remember.
2: So we don't know yet, but I assume if some gods can make spit come up from dirt mouths and <laughs> do stuff like that, then maybe they can bless some trinkets.
1: Maybe. But I mean, as far as we know, no one can make the Koray now. Like, no one has the ability. They're so precious because there's so few of them and no one knows how to make them, I think.
2: That's true. But there's only one spit that can conceal someone's face from the Aspect Emperor. So that's way more rare than Koray. There's only one White warrior, maybe.
1: That's more rare than Corey. Eh? Yeah, fair enough. That's a good point.
0: Uh, in regards to uh, my mirror seeing a commie uh, on three sixty seven, I, I thought it was uh, out of tab, but uh, she sees a as others do, stooped in his mad hermit robes, his beard stiff against his breast, his complexion the dark of long used skins. She sees the mark soiling his co- his colors, blasting his edges. And though his eye as the and though her eyes blink and roll against it, she sees the judgment. He is carry on, he is horror, his skin is burned to paste. Uh Druus is damned.
1: So my question is, is he damned because he's a sorcerer? Or is he damned because he's a bad person? Because Kallus seems to be saying that sorcerers are not damned. At least, like, not by default. Like, just just because you're doing sorcery, just because you're just because you're casting spells doesn't mean doesn't automatically mean you're going to be damned in the afterlife. Um, But then Akamians seems to suggest that because my mark can see that he's damned or that cleric is damned that's a proof that Callus is lying or that what he's saying is is just is, is' not is not true
0: i let me let me find the there's a, a section that talks about the judging and eye i think it mentions uh, let me find it really quickly.
2: six Wants her to look at Kellis with the judging eye to see what she sees and she also thinks that I guess the day that Kellis said the words that they're not banned, it washed away their blackness. But that's only if you assume that the tusk is a real religious scripture. That's what That's the real God's word, not the solitary God's words, because they're different beliefs. I think Nomura knows what's damned and what's not damned better than anyone correctly. So some words in the tusk being rewritten aren't going to change what the truth is, whatever the truth is.
1: Yeah, that's what I'm asking. What is the truth? <laughs> um, it'll be yeah. fun to read the atrocity tales. There's
2: some atrocity tales that I feel, as far as this goes, maybe we can over in the next book.
0: Um, on on three thirty six, um, when they're talking about the judge and I, it means that you don't simply apprehend. Or, sorry, it seems uh, you don't. You see the mark of sorcery, but you see the sin as well. He trailed, then laughed, despite the horror that flexed through him. And a little bit later, um, he says, "Think, if sorcery is no longer abomination, then let her think it, it. Let her think it was this." He told himself, "Perhaps it would even serve to discourage her." So it sounds like there may be sin. Uh, maybe Kellis is not being is misleading with that one but i I may have missed with that
1: I do get the impression that common is not telling the entire truth to Maimara either like it it does seem like he's holding some information back from her um and I, I, I and like particularly with respect to the judging eye and what it means and um I don't know if it's related to like sorcery like automatically leading to damnation. Um. But I don't. I don't think he's he's uh, being completely honest with her. But I, I don't know. Like, it, it, I'm, I'm kind of thinking if you're a sorcerer, like you have this incredible power, and most probably, like you're going to use it to manipulate people torture people, kill people. So even if, even if sorcery doesn't, like even if being sorcerer doesn't, doesn't automatically mean that you're, you're damned. Maybe the actions, maybe the things you do just because you have this power will lead you to damnation anyway. So maybe it doesn't matter in the end.
2: If we go by like the like, common um, Christian version of what what would well, damn you, I'd say most of your boys are damned. <laughs> maybe Sorrel's yeah. innocent. He did pick on kids though, so.
1: There are not many good people in this world, at least that we have encountered, so... It would, it would be interesting to, for Mara to meet someone who is not damned in her eyes.
2: The fact that Mara seems to just like know some things, it's really, sat nana fairy like, that makes sense? Just like, I know these slaves have been here for 10,000 years how she doesn't know how she knows. So who knows what
1: the document is? And like, how can we even tell if what she's seeing is actually true? I mean, until that person is dead and in hell, we have no way of of proving that she's actually like correct in reading those signals.
0: Maybe they were in hell.
1: <laughs> Maybe know. she's just imagining things. Maybe she's just a crazy crazy prostitute from Gareth <laughs> Probably not, but
0: could could be
2: I think they all kind of went crazy by the time they made it out. Even Sorrel, who was like crazy to begin with, is now a weeper <laughs> now probably the most crazy guy around it seems like he was just crying and laughing and whispering to himself
1: yeah, he seems like he's he's definitely lost it
0: as as you probably as anyone probably would in there Memo
2: um, the like was like. Will it be the good part of me that gets out of here? Because I'm definitely leaving some parts behind everyone yeah. is.
0: Yeah, she said she parts of her won't, won't survive. Let's hope it's the lesser parts.
1: Yeah, I mean, we, we know that she's a survivor. Like she's she survived all those years in slavery. She survived the. Ed, ed, at heights um i don't know if the better parts of her made it through but she is a survivor i think just like her mother
2: i think i don't know if it was fear she was thinking about but then she's like okay. i used to think fear was just like talking to my mom but now i, I really know what fear is
1: It does put things into perspective.
0: So there was a couple of things in the in uh, the last section, but um, before um, something I was I was wondering about, and I may have missed it, but on four twelve, um, the um, it talks about the gates no longer being guarded.
2: That's when Morris says,
0: "I'm guarding the gates." Right. Yeah. So that I wasn't quite sure how that all happened. I hold the gates. So that was her. That was her doing that, right?
1: Yeah, she was doing that with the help of the Cory, I think. Okay. Um, and but she does. She does say something interesting in in that scene, like when the hell is is trying to. Um, come through um, I think she, she talks about like eyes opening in the hearts of the men around her I don't know I didn't write it down but I, I do remember her describing, describing it that way um, and it kind of reminded me of the eye in the hearts of in the heart of the the pick they they meet in the mines i think it was just one 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 small line not sure if i'll be able to find it
2: Oh, in the moment of madness, it seems that she can see their hearts through their cage breasts, that she can see the
0: eyes open.
1: Oh, yeah. It's page 412. Oh, I missed it. So it doesn't mean that they also have eyes in their hearts now?
0: let see if
2: they start saying how they can't see. Technically, the judging eye is like A heart's eye, isn't it? Does that make sense? She's she sees the purity of people, good and the bad, which is like what we associate with heart. So the judging eyes like a heart that sees
1: Maybe. There there are a lot of weird things in in these last few chapters.
2: It definitely took a real ish turn the closer we got to the outside. But then the other close in the first book was kind of weird too. Bones washing up, the having horrible dreams, everyone going crazy from horrible dreams. So it was a little bit of horror in the first series, whereas this one is another little bit of horror in this. So maybe there is something to topos. I mean, maybe there is something to the outside and the underneath. Shut
0: out the I outside. was
1: scared. Sorry.
0: No, i just going to shut out the outside.
2: The scope and scale of it all was crazy. We've been talking about how big this cave is and how the like the murals have little murals written all across them because the non men can't see paintings, it just looks like a blur to them. I guess, like, up magic eye you remember those magic eye posters when you were kids that are just a blur until you like lose your focus and then they take shape.
0: Yeah, yeah. this never worked for me, but yeah, I know what you're talking about.
1: <laughs> then... Maybe you're a non man.
0: Maybe. Maybe,
2: That yeah. can just says that they're not human. They might seem somewhat human, but they're pretty far from human.
1: Yeah, that's definitely the sense I get just from the physical descriptions, but also the way that um, Cleric talks and, and, and their philosophy, at least the, the little we have heard about it so far. They do feel very alien, very non-human non-men.
2: We did get one cleric sermon. It It was pretty good. I think that's when he was kind of talking about why worship a God that you're not ignorant of. How powerful ignorance is.
1: Okay, I think... We went through all my questions. So I guess we can move on to the uh, interlude.
0: Yes. <laughs> oh, these kids. Those, those darn kids. Um, he looks at you funny.
1: I, I like the fact that Kalmoma's single-handedly managed to like, completely undermine all of Esminet's um, all of S. political efforts in, in this book.
2: Esminets, mm-hmm. Masonet's, Kellasis, it's all overturned. And he seems to realize it only like the- offhandedly. He doesn't care. He only cares about his mom. I guess if this affects his mom a lot he makes her too busy to play with him, he'll figure out how to stop it. He just wants her attention.
1: Yeah, but he also I mean he does seem to enjoy at least a little bit the feeling of like being the feeling of being the puppet master um behind the scenes and no one knows about
0: yeah, he whispers. But he has more power. Pretending to fall asleep, he would open his eyes. He would open his eyes later when her breath, when her breathing si- slept into long trough of dreams. Unseen rulers never slumbered, not truly. <laughs> Such a creep. Oh, a little creep.
2: And it seems like that whole little bit. He's trying to sow some dissent, like some distrust between Nathan and.
1: Yeah, and we know that Esminet is already a little bit suspicious of Like She thinks that there has to be some reason why Kellis doesn't trust him or doesn't trust him enough to put him in charge of the Empire. Um, and I guess Clebomus is is probably aware of that and he's feeding into that um sense of suspicion but it just it's it's interesting to me like it's, he's essentially doing the same thing as callus does to everyone but for some reason it feels much more malicious or much more it, it makes me more concerned um when Kel Momiz does it, then when it's when it's Kelis who's doing it
2: one's like an adult about it and he's a child about
1: it <laughs> yeah, I guess Kellyeller has or seems to have a like agenda or he seems like he seems to know why he's doing it like Helmowitz kind of just seems to do it because. It's it's fun, and he has his weird fixation on on his mom. But I guess ultimately we don't know if Kel like if Kellis is more in the ride than Kalmuma is.
0: Well, I think too it's because we know that Kellis has been has received a lot of training, and he's uh, more uh, it, get the impression that he's deliberate or he has an end goal in mind with. Calumas, it's you wonder if he's just a psychopath. <laughs> well, I mm-hmm. guess Kelos could be called that, too, but I think you know what I mean. <laughs> there's,
2: there, there's a lot of talk about the dumb mean being like emotionless, too. So when they have kids with SNET who's not emotionless, then these little kids get random bits of human emotion that break them in this way or that way, maybe, too. If that makes sense which is why the daughter can't, like, stare people in the eyes. She just stutters. Who knows why, and well, Marcus is locked up in his room
0: currently. <laughs> uh, so, in the, uh, I, I, I so, I, I had complained, too, about, uh, Noir, and I was hoping that he would be, he wouldn't come back, but when I read in the, um, the dark, the the end section that he before his death he, he, uh, he told Okamian about Kellis. I, I got a little sad because I thought maybe he would come back.
1: Oh, I missed that part. Well,
0: what can I, I, I say?
1: Yeah. I miss him dearly. But maybe maybe
0: he's I'm sorry.
1: No, it was just going to say that maybe, you know, considering the things that are probably coming, maybe it's better he's already checked out. (laughs) But maybe, maybe he's burning somewhere in hell. Well, he, he most certainly is. So, who knows? Um. Who knows? (laughs) <laughs>
0: yeah. uh, I did like the last uh, section of the uh, of the book. The that um, the the the, um, the nameless war is nameless no longer. Men call it the great ordeal.
1: Yeah. Why? Oh. Why? Why? Like. I don't understand, hopefully we'll find out, but why is the sixth book The Great Ordeal when we've been with The Great Ordeal for well, at least one book now, and I think it's safe to assume for another book at least as well. It's, it's, I mean, it's pro- you don't have to answer that, it's just something that I find strange.
0: <laughs> I love the faces makes. <laughs> maybe, maybe say.
1: I don't even want to. Know. I don't even want to know. I'm just. I, I, I was just surprised. Like when I, you know, when I the first time I just saw, I read these. I, I saw the titles of of the books in the in the Aspid Emperor series, and I said, okay, the third book is is the Great Ordeal. I guess that's where we uh, joined the Great Ordeal. And then I started judging on. Uh, it's like, oh, the Great Ordeal has already left the three seas.
2: Maybe there's a reason. I don't know. None of the first books. None of the first books were called the First Holy War though, right? None of them described the events necessarily in How long has the Great Ordeal been happening too? Didn't they say it's been happening for seven years already or something like that? Right after the unification wars ended, then the Great Ordeal pretty much started. They took all of the men from the city and now it's just a bunch of little kids women that estimates trying to rule over.
0: I kinda I <laughs> when I finished this one I thought we have three more books to go and I got a little sad because I don't I don't know if I want the series to end. <laughs> so it'd be interesting.
1: Yeah, I almost feel like I I, I almost forgot that this was the end of the book like as as much as I enjoyed the last chapter or the last like couple of chapters it it doesn't it doesn't really feel like an ending. It's like, especially for me because I also read the book that come comes after this one it it's just feel it's like it's it, again like I guess it's similar to to the darkness that like comes before um it does kind of feel like a prologue. Like we're just like putting pieces, like setting up pieces on the chessboard. Like it's it's not like we like like a commune's barely left his tower. Like he's not even made it through the mountains yet, and it's it's been like four hundred pages. Um...
2: This is true, and it ended without like saying anything that happened. Estimate until the last page, which wasn't which is the prelude. So it didn't tie things up as well as the darkness that comes before it in the first book, for sure. We got very little revelation with Soil it pretty much just went back to it came in and this game goes for the last seven or eighty pages I feel like. It's
0: mm-hmm. quite a bit. So, since
2: we still got stories going on in three different parts of the world, it didn't tie up together as good.
1: Yeah, I feel I like the distinction between the books kind of blurs. Like, or, like I already think of The Prince of Nothing as sort of like one book split into three parts. But I think it's even more true about The Aspect Emperor. Like, I don't, for me, like, there's not really, like, a clear beginning, like, clear end of, of the Judging Island, like, clear beginning of The white like Warrior. Like, it's kind of just, you, you could have maybe split it in other parts and would probably work as well. I,
2: I think that this was supposed to be a set of three. And so maybe the splitting happened between the first and the second book. That makes sense. It was supposed to be two trilogies, but a
0: big duology to end it. I Maybe mean, that being a trilogy and a quadrilogy and emptiness currently. <laughs> emptiness. Yeah. So we'll be we start. with uh, the next one is the White Luck Warrior and Katerina, that's the one that you, that's the last one you read, right? Yep.
1: Yeah. That's correct. You're almost cut up. <laughs>
0: Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. So Daniel will be the, the only one who's uh, the last two books, he's be the only one who read the last two. So we're almost we've almost caught up. But so we'll another start month. Another month, yeah. So we'll we'll take a look at that and uh figure out how many pages uh we'll start with next week. But in the meantime, uh Katarina if anyone wants to get in touch with you and, and tell you how awesome Sha Sawbon is, where would they get in touch with you?
1: Well, I've not been very good at keeping up with uh, messages and and so on. But you can still find me on the page doing forum. Um, and I'm also on Instagram at The Errand.
0: And Daniel, where can people not find you?
2: <laughs> In the comments section of this video or on page Twoing. I do want to add, we didn't talk about Kellis floating around the umbilic.
0: Oh yeah, catching a
2: skin spy.
0: I forgot about that. Yeah, I had that written down too.
2: And also uh Sorwill like looks at the two emperors and decides Savon's kind of exactly like Katarina thinks.
0: (laughs) That's why you like Sorwheel so much. Among other other
1: reasons.
2: One other thing, like we know that the Dunyin in such a short amount of time have been able to like alter their genetic makeup seemingly be more than human. The non-men after all those years have forgotten, became something else entirely. Then we found out that they have these slaves that they kept in like a black pit for 10,000 years. Just breeding and breeding them in caves. So I wonder what those yamwa Moss slaves really look like? Hmm. Like by the, by the time the humans found them, how human were they? Or did they just think they were killing something terrible, if that makes sense? Hmm. I, I know that when a spider gets trapped inside of a cave and like the outside closes, it loses its eyeballs. Most animals lose their eyeballs. If they live in caves for too many generations because it's an unnecessary organ.
1: I did not even think of that, but um, well, I thought it was scary before, and now I'm completely. the The images in my mind are, um, I'm not gonna have a good night of sleep today. I think.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Cutter is not tired anymore. (laughs) I
2: apologize. I think the thing that affected me the most—they get all the way out of—they get all the way out of the. Mountain, you know, walking across the ice, and it's just full of like children and women frozen in the ice.
0: Yeah.
2: Who knows how that happened, but for how many of them there were dead in there. That was pretty hey. horrifying to me So to, yeah. to get out into the white light and then it's still to just be as dark as right next to the gate of hell. <laughs>
1: Yeah, there's so so many moments in in that chapter that stand out that there are only so many we can talk about, I guess, within an oh, hour and a half.
2: The one funny part where I came in, like, if they didn't follow us, they'll be able to follow us by the trail of shit I left. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they, they, yeah. Seen, they got scared, the shit is spent, so they don't even know where they are.
0: That's right. <laughs> that's right
2: and then there was a part where Snet like shows i think someone doctor the Corey, and he's and i've been trying to pound out those dragon's teeth (laughs) you already have your fortune what's going on here those are (laughs) kind of funny parts
0: there's so much uh in this in that one chapter there's so many things that were happening
1: Yeah, I would reread it, but I'm, I was exhausted when I finished it. It's so much, it's so like it's so intense. There's so many scary, spooky moments. But as you said, also some some funny um some funny scenes as well.
2: Yeah. No weekers yeah. on the slog. Yeah. On the slog. We still have three books to read, so you can't read that read. You gotta wait.
0: <laughs> Not quite there yet We're cool, so we'll uh, see everyone uh, next week. Thanks everybody for listening or uh watching.